Good morning, boys and girls. This is Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice in a biblical lens. Through a biblical lens. Through Tanner. a biblical lens. Is that not how it's written on the board? Yes. It's how it's written on the board, Tanner. Come on. Through a biblical lens. We are grammar people here. One of us is. Well, at least one of us here. <laughs> but I'm Tanner Higgins. I'm the grammar not uh, Matthew Thompson. <laughs> I'm just the redneck Mason Simmons. You definitely don't have grammar. He knew he wouldn't be able to say it, so he didn't even try. Yep, I just sat back and watched or listened. Well, Van Buren, can you even sp- spell Buren? Van Buren? Is that one word or two words? I don't, I don't even know. I can't say it's two words. Is it two words? It is. B-Y-O-O-R-I-N. Buren. I think so. No, I'm kidding. I the e-halls in the distance. <laughs> All right, well, we've got some riveting stuff today. So riveting that I think this is probably about the most research that, that I've poured into um, a bit of scripture that we've done so far because obviously we're going over uh, John chapter 4 I mean that goes without saying like if you've been following along then I mean you know what chapter was next that's just how numbers work one two three four but this this story has earned some new weight to me personally I don't but don't know about you guys but when I was doing my research over the story that we're about to read the woman at the well as is as it's commonly referred to I mean, obviously I knew that it was something important because I mean hey it's something that Jesus had a hand in and it's in scripture so inherently that makes it important but this and I'm, I'm quoting good old Tim Mackey from the Bible Project when I say this, so keep that in mind. This is one of the most controversially charged areas of Scripture when it comes to, mm-hmm. like, the way that women are seen in Scripture. And it goes even further than that. But we'll talk about that as we read it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Which I wouldn't even say just women, but just people that are different Oh yeah. Then you, because Jesus is breaking down walls. Oh yeah, but like I said, every time I, I, that he talks, I didn't want to give spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. I don't give too many spoilers. Yeah, let's not try to get too. Yeah, we, we got a lot of scripture to pound through, yeah. so I don't, I don't want to waste any time just giving giving some intro here. We got thirty eight verses, which we may or may not read every one of them like syllable for syllable yeah. because we, again, there's a lot. Hey, yeah, there is. Listen, a lot. if if you don't have a Bible, send me your email. Uh, I'll send you a Bible. You know, I'll send you one straight to your door. You know, through the email. Send me your address. <laughs> email the address. I'll email. Listen, I'll email a PDF. Okay, of there a we go. That's, that's more that. realistic. I can do that. Yeah, that's easy. That no. doesn't. That doesn't cost postage. We don't have a stamp budget here at Cross Training. Yet. <laughs> no, we don't. There's no. There's no really budget to behold. So. All right. Well, let's dive right into scripture, fellas. Let's dive. Okay, so in John chapter 4, here we are. So in John chapter 4, you definitely have this situation, this scenario set up, and Jesus is continuing on his ministry. And here he's traveling with his disciples, and his disciples go off. They go off, and he's all alone, and he, here he is at a place called Jacob's Well. In verse 6, it says Jacob's Well. And Jesus, worn from his journey, sat down at the well, and it was about noon. And I think in some, uh, I know King James, I think it's about the sixth hour. Yeah. Um, and so this is around noon time. So it's within the heat of the day. So Jesus is weary. You know, he's tired. He's human. And he's thirsty. And he goes to this well uh, to get refreshed. And he's all by himself while the disciples go and uh, do other things, get supplies and stuff. And so here, 
this woman from Samaria comes to draw water out of this well. And Jesus approaches this woman and says something to her. Give me a drink. Give me something to drink. Because his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And so this is one of the things that Matthew brought out in the very beginning. Is the first barrier that Christ breaks down right here. Because we know that Jesus is a God that he wants to break barriers. And he, and he breaks the social norm to conversate and to get to people and talk with them. And, and to get into a relationship with people. So the first thing that he breaks down is the gender gap here. So if you want to understand the gender gap then versus it is now, it's completely different in first century Israel and Judea than it is in 21st century westernized American culture. Because today, you know, women about have every opportunity uh, than men. But here in first century, women were used to the extent of, you know, you're basically property. You know, you you marry from a different family. You're get you're you're given over to a man that you probably don't even know. Sometimes, you know, it's an arranged marriage, and and you have no say in government. You've got no say in any kind of uh, uh, of, of of opinion. You can't be a witness in court because women are seen as an unreliable witness, and so they are completely devalued to being only used for subjugation to men. And women were very insignificant in first century Judea. And the value behind a woman was almost non-existent. And I think this is interesting, too. We're not going to get too much into it this part, but yet this is one thing that I think that gives evidence behind Scripture, more of an apologetic view of Scripture, is that women are on a forefront of the witness of Jesus because who were the first people to witness and see the resurrected Savior? It was women. It was women. Who was the person that delivered the letter from Paul to the church of Rome? It was Phoebe. It was a woman. So basically it was a woman preaching or, or reading the letter to the people of Rome. So there's a significant part for women in, in the Bible. And Jesus has a specific place for women. And I know as it, that, that Jesus, he, he, he says this and he does this in a way that is like, okay, I'm willing to talk to a woman. I'm willing to talk with her. And, it, and he's basically going against the social and, and religious norm of the day. That the people, the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had no value of women. They couldn't pray at the wall. They couldn't do all this. That your value is worthless. But to Jesus, he's saying, okay, no. I want to talk to you because you do have value. Yeah, and that's controversial for so many reasons. Uh, well, for the time, obviously, because, and my goodness, this piece, this piece of scripture, John chapter four, the, whip this scripture out whenever anyone dares accuse the Bible of being inherently sexist, of of preaching sexism. Yeah, because Jesus here is, he is fulfilling something. Because people like to look at the Old Testament and see how women were, were treated as, you know, second-class garbage, more or less. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, even within the laws that, uh, that God established for his people in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which we'll get into that here in a bit, uh, you can see that the, right, the limited rights that they were given pale in comparison to what women are allowed uh, now, um, as you said, Tanner. So it's easy to look at it with, with our, our modern... Um, mindset 
and go, oh, well, they, they didn't, the, the Bible didn't give them anything. God, God wanted women to be, to, be, to be servants, to be subjugated. Mm-hmm. He, didn't, he didn't want them to, to be independent or anything like that. You also got to keep in mind that before those laws were, were established, women were even less than that. Mm-hmm. And while it may, again, it seems extreme to us now that, that women and men are more or less equal, depending on where you go in the world, of course, uh, to look at that and go, yeah, well, that's not enough. Well, you also got to keep in mind that God wasn't working with a bunch of other gods that like there was just this acknowledgement of yes man and woman are made in the image of god and therefore they should be respected as such no these were people very flawed very sinful people that unfortunately you couldn't just flip a switch on them and then they become super respectful and all in favor of gender equality because there's this thing called free will that god let us have so there's a bit of a caveat there but here you have the proof that that's not how it was always going to be. God always had in mind that there would be a time that there would be this equality between man and woman, that this, that's what this was meant to be. That Adam and Eve, it, it wasn't that Eve was made to be Adam's slave. No, they were to be companions to each other. There was supposed to be unification there. That was the true image of God to have this man and woman be of one flesh. That's how it's supposed to be. And Jesus is, is proving that right here by bestowing upon this woman just utmost respect. Mm-hmm. Like approaching her, this this piece of second-rate trash, according to any other man at the time. Because I mean, you got to keep in mind this this was a Sumerian woman, so you got a, a race issue right there. Like it's already heresy that that he's talking to her just because of her race, and then you add in the fact that she's a she, like that. That's a double whammy right there. Like the, the, Jesus, you're you're over here sinning, aren't you? The, the, this isn't allowed. But no, he's, he's breaking down the barriers. He's making it clear that the old law is being fulfilled, and it's time to establish the kind of respect that he demands, not just for himself but for his people, because he's not looking at this woman as though she's a she. He's not looking at this woman as though she's a Sumerian. She's looking, or she, he's looking at this woman as though she is a created being by God. Made in the image of God. Made yeah. in the image of God. There's a lot of things within within this story and a lot of uh, uh, gaps that are being bridged, but I think the main thing that needs to be brought up here is that when Jesus is talking about this water, that Jesus sees that this woman is thirsty at the well, and she's coming at the well. And he, he has this great opportunity to, to make a storytelling, a, a, a way to bridge a communication gap here as well, because Jesus is a storyteller guy. And I, and I love this, too, because he sees that this woman is, is also thirsty for, for water, but yet also thirsty probably for maybe gender equality. And later on, that this woman may be thirsty for racial equality. This woman may be thirsty for companionship. So there's obviously a physical but yet spiritual thirst within her life. And I think we can analyze that within ourselves as well, that we have a thirst for something. You know, and some people may drive for a thirst in wealth or driving a thirst into success in your job or driving a thirst and and driving in solely uh, for selfish reasons but yet all those things will come null and void you will continually be thirsty but jesus will bridge this gap saying listen all these things that you're thirsty for ain't going to bring you your quench and thirst it's only going to be the eternal life so we're going to get there so the the second gap that is bridged is the racial gap yeah, which 
we've already touched on just a tad um and i mean it's it's stated there within scripture like it is spelled right out for you in case you want to start making excuses like oh well maybe this wasn't a racial guy maybe this was just a gender thing and like there's still room for like some segregation within the church no jesus smacks that down immediately because continue on in verse nine um and it's worth mentioning that some versions of the bible uh will say like sumerian woman and others will say samaritan i'm reading out a version that says samaritan so just want to make sure i don't confuse anyone there Uh, Verse 9 says, The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So the difference between, you know, the Jew and the Samaritan is a contrast between someone that is probably more orthodox and holy and righteous compared to to someone else. And I think the one of the biggest contrasts that you can see within today today's public uh, is is definitely, you know, the, the the race tensions that you see today. That some people say, okay, well, there's more value in a race than here. You know, well, blacks are better than whites. Whites are better than blacks. You know, there's tension there. But yet, when Jesus says, you know, when he when Jesus says, you know, I have died for all the world. In John three sixteen, you know, for God so loved the world. You know, the whole world is in the sense of everyone encompassing. You know, it's every race. Being made in the image of God does not say you're white, you're black. And so Jesus is basically saying, you know, I don't care that you're a Samaritan woman. I don't care that I'm a Jew. When I said that I was going to die for the whole world, that doesn't exclude you because you're a Samaritan. That doesn't include just me and only the Jewish people, but that is including, encompassing everyone that will ever live on this earth everyone. And so when Jesus is talking to a woman from Samaria that no other Jew would probably talk to, and then I think that later on in the conversation, the disciples come back and are kind of like, why is he talking to a Samaritan woman? They're just confused, like, why is he talking to her? It's almost as bad as a leper. You know, the Samaritan woman is almost as bad as a leper that everyone just does not want to talk to the woman, doesn't want to talk to a Samaritan, and she's just an outcast because she is of a lower class, that she's she's not as valued. And I guess the historical, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the Samaritans were kind of like a mixed breed of Jews and and of other races like Gentiles and stuff like that. So they're not purebred uh, Jewish culture, Hebrew people. And so I think that's one reason why the Jewish people saw them as quote-unquote corrupt because they were not purebreds in the sense of they're they're not completely chosen. So we're just going to exclude them from the fold. But Jesus says, I don't care. You're included in this. My blood will cover your your impurities. Yeah, well said. I mean, that's pretty, I I mean, honestly, that's pretty all-encompassing. I mean, you you said everything that I could have added more. Mason, I don't reckon you've got uh, more on that. Okay. Good deal. (laughs) Not really. Well, moving on, verse 10 says, And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. So where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank of it himself, as did his children and his livestock? Do you want me to continue, or do you want to break this down a bit? I think it's funny how she's still seeing a physical side instead of the spiritual side. He's like, the living water, if you knew who was asking you, it's like, oh, so you don't have a ladle big enough 
yeah. you don't. You, I guess you don't have a bucket then, yeah. you know, for that living water. And that's an angle of scripture that is borderline ever present. I mean, goodness, all the time you have Jesus saying things and people don't know what he means. I mean, whether it be parables or whether it be him just straight up telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to die and be raised again, and they just get confused. Uh, it's, I mean, Jesus is no stranger to people not understanding what he means by what he says, mm-hmm. even when he just spells it out black, white, and red. Uh, but this is a little, little different because I mean, this isn't one of his disciples. This isn't a Pharisee. This is a woman that is going to be turned into a missionary. Like this, mm-hmm. she's she's the first missionary. Yeah, depending on who you ask. So it it kind of takes me off guard because honestly, I didn't really pick up on this until you kind of touched on it just then that she's not really picking up on the eternal value in this conversation. Which, to be fair, she still doesn't know who she's talking to. We'll pick back up in thirteen. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst, nor come here to draw. So when I read this, I like to go back to what Matthew read in verse 12. And she, when it's when the woman asks, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well? You know, I, I think at this point she's starting to see, okay, maybe it's not so much physical need at this point. So she's like, okay, well, who are you? Because as we've mentioned, she doesn't know who she's talking to. Uh, Jesus has kind of left himself, you know, elusive and just as a man. But when he goes on to say this, he says, no. You know, I, or basically answers the question, I am, but without saying it. You know, whoever drinks of the water that I can give you, you know, you won't thirst again. And it's not talking about the physical essence here. You know, it's talking about, you know, you won't thirst for things spiritually, you know, or things of the world, you know, if you come for the water that Jesus is going to give you. And so when I think of this, you know, who are you greater than, you know, Abraham, our father, you know, or Jacob, our father, you know, who are you? And Jesus is like, you know, I'm the one that's going to complete you. I'm the one that's going to give you everything that you need you know you're not going to want anymore as we'll find out here soon that you know she's had a lot of things that she's wanted in her life and she's very incomplete and i think jesus just kind of strikes that right in the heart and he's like look you you take what i'm giving you won't want anymore on that note and on the the scripture that you read mason i'd like to to wax philosophical for a moment because one thing that i'm trying to do more these days is to really appreciate how Jesus um, spoke to the level of the people that he spoke to. Because, I mean, obviously a lot of the stuff he said went over people's heads. I mean, again, we've already covered that uh, so far in this discussion. But despite that, he did a very good job of relating to the people of the time. It's almost like he he knew them or something. Because, I mean, just compartmentalize what he said to that woman. I'll just read through it again real quick. Uh, Verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So a more literal way that he could have put that is, woman, your, your soul is destined for hell. You, you are living in your own self-inflicted damnation. But I want to die, and then I'm going to raise myself up again in, in three days after that. And then because of that, you will not suffer damnation. You're welcome. That's going to make absolutely no sense. But it is a true statement. <laughs> he does make it like a threefold statement of like, you're always thirsty, but I can give you something that you'll never thirst. 
and that can lead to that you will you'll live forever yeah yeah and he makes sure that like not only is he making it simpler than trying to describe eternity to a, a woman just at random he's he's really bringing it to a level that not only they can understand, but like we can understand. Like we can read this, and it still makes sense to us. We don't have to sit here and go, "Okay, so how does this result? Uh, how does this relate to a woman in that culture at that time?" No, I mean, have you ever woken up at like 3 a.m. and you are just you are parched, and you you go to the fridge, you pour yourself a, a glass of water, you get some ice in there, and you drink. It, it almost makes your teeth hurt. It's so cold, and you can just feel that water hit your stomach, and it. It feels like life. You you feel like you've gained a few years on your life expectancy. It's so refreshing. I mean, we can relate to that. I mean, mm-hmm. have y'all ever been that refreshed? You're giving me blank stares over here. Am I the only one loving drinking water that much? Oh no, 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 no. I totally I totally agree. Okay, all right. So, hydration obviously important. You need it to live. So again, this is a multi-pronged, as you said, Tanner, uh, approach to what life uh, Jesus can provide to people. Uh, not only is it something that you want and it's something that will bring you an inherent joy and you will enjoy it, but it's something that you need, something that will sustain you. Mm -hmm. So again, coming at it from multiple angles, it's it's beautiful. It's poetry. I love it. Jesus Mm -hmm. is a genius. I really want to, I want to take this just a step farther though, just because this is a deep dive and we've got some other things coming up, but I just kind of want to hit this as my last little spill on it. Uh, Think talking about the water, we're always going to have to come back to that water and she recognized that because you know she had to go out and you know she has to dip the water out with from the well with the bucket and she's like you know where's your bucket jesus and all those things but what he's trying to portray here is that you won't have to keep coming back and it's the thing with the salvation you know once once you've accepted christ you know you don't have to keep looking for the things to fill your life you don't have to keep looking for your wants you don't have to keep looking for those things you know that your brokenness or your damnation or you know those things that you're trying to fulfill yourself that you're continually having to pour into but it just seems like a bottomless pit and it's jesus is like no look I, i can give you this and as you've said it what he's basically trying to do is spill out salvation just in terms that she can understand and for the situation being I can give you something that will that will stop up that hole where you don't have to keep coming back and filling it up. You don't have to keep coming back. You don't have to keep trying on your own and trying to do everything by yourself. It's like, look, I can do this for you, and it will last forever I th- if I th- you will allow it to. I think you'll be a little bit careful, though, because it's like you got this square-shaped hole in your chest, and we keep on trying to fix that square-shaped hole with a circle. Yeah, with a circle. Yeah, but Jesus, yeah, Jesus puts it, puts a square peg right in there and fits perfectly and plugs up the hole. But yet we still have to go to the right person, the right source, to fix it. You know, I think there's there's maintenance need to be made to the guy that knows who, how to maintain it. So it's not like, because I think we're you got to be careful when you read that a little bit in that way. It's like, okay, well, then he doesn't, she doesn't have to go to the well no more. She doesn't have to go to that living water no more. It's like, well... I'm a Christian now, so I don't have to go to church. I don't have to maintain. So I, I, there's, well, a, I, and I know you don't. Uh, you're not. Yeah, that's okay. not what you're saying. Uh, here, but I'll, you got to be I'll, careful. I'll step a back bit. on that and say, like, you, in your spiritual life, you're going to live and you're going to consume that water. But of course, you know, you don't have to keep coming back and f- fulfilling it on your own. Jesus will fulfill it as long as you don't pull the drain out. Like, yeah. As yeah, long as you yeah. don't pull the plug, he's going to be there for you. And you know, and as long as you pour into it, it's not going to just pour out on your own. That's uh, yeah, you're right. I probably okay. should have took a half step back and said that because. You do, 
have to keep coming to the source, but it's the source that's going to fulfill itself instead of you having. I knew what you're talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's just, yeah, no, you're completely right because there is a lot of times where people can take that. Once saved, always saved. That's not that's not the doctrine that he's he's trying to get here. We're getting spicy in here. Uh, Well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Well, fellas, you know, iron sharpeneth iron, as Scripture says. That's true. So, so we've we've covered two bases so far in this story. God, God, I mean, yeah, God. Jesus has um, bridged a gender gap. He has bridged a racial gap in this conversation with this woman so far. But there is still another layer to add that arguably is the most controversial of all. Mm-hmm. So let's continue reading. And before I start reading, where am I reading to? I was about to ask, I don't even know where we're at. We're at 16. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, verses 16 through 18. It's a very short passage with a lot of punch. So, I'll just read it and then then we'll get into this. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You said well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. So when, when reading that little piece of scripture, I mean, I know this, this might seem obvious to, to most people, but just for the sake of putting it out there, let's keep in mind, Jesus is having a good, loving conversation with this woman. He is speaking with an individual that he created, made, made in God's image. There is this acknowledgement here. Jesus is God and God is love. So by extension, we can safely say Jesus is love. I think there's a mathematical property that can apply to that, but whatever. So there is a respect here. There is a love here. So do keep in mind that nothing changes as a result of it being acknowledged that this woman has been married and divorced multiple times. Like, it's, it's not like Jesus was loving this, this woman as a creation of his, and then once it gets acknowledged that she has a very less than stellar sexual history, he's like, oh, well, change my mind. You're trash now. All right, get out of my sight. You're you're a failure. Uh, I shouldn't have created you. No, none of that happens here. The conversation continues, but but let's stick to this for a bit. Well, the conversation uh, has been like on the back seat during this whole time for now, but now it's getting personal. Jesus is getting really personal and touchy here for this woman to the point where this issue of her having multiple husbands is kind of the source of her problems within this whole situation. The reason why she's coming at at the hottest of the day at noontime instead of early in the morning with the rest of the women. There's a reason why she is very, uh, she seems almost alone in the aspect of her her humanity. And so Jesus is getting very personal with her, and I think this is one reason why she ended up getting it, and she understood at the very end. Because, you know, at the very beginning of the story, she's just like, Jesus said, what What does that mean? The living water? Does that mean physical? Do you have a bucket deep enough? How does that work, Jesus? But then in the end, it's like what Jesus said, that it's a well springing up. You know, you've seen, like, uh, the, the, the water geysers at Yosemite? Yeah. And they shoot Yellowstone, sh- one of them, and they shoot up. And I automatically, when I read that scripture, I think of the, you know that water that Christ gives, that that fulfillment, that ever living water shoots up, and it just everyone can see it all around you. And that's exactly what happens to this woman: is that when Jesus fulfills that hole that she has and gives her everlasting water, 
it shoots up and she goes into the community and shares it. And like you said, she becomes the first missionary. And so I think this is the source of the problem is the, the, is the, is her sin and the people that has sinned against her. Yeah. And let's also keep in mind, there's, there's a level of comfort taking place here. And when I say level, like, I don't say that lightly, like they're, they're, Jesus is being a comforter in this situation because scripture, I mean, you can read it and you can get value out of it at face value, mm-hmm. but let, let's dig a little deeper here. Let me also point, I, and I had to correct myself when I was, when I was doing a little bit of studying in some videos, I was, I was watching you know, some teachers and stuff that I've always assumed this woman be a hoe. You know, reading this story, I always thought she was just a whore with five husbands that she's mm. sleeping mm. around. And I was just like, you know, she's just a, she loves the men, you know, she loves getting out and going out and doing stuff like that. And I I was automatically associated this woman of being a prostitute or a whore. Yeah. I really did. Very, very glad you said that, Tanner, because we are about to not only refute that, but refute it with scriptural proof. So strap in boys. Yep. Let's get in here. So we've established already that there were laws set in the Old Testament that when you look at them with, with a modern mindset, that they can seem barbaric, all right? But even given their barbaric, I'm putting air quotes around that, um, qualities, you can utilize that scripture to really drive this story home that we're reading in John chapter 4. So the first bit of scripture I want to read, it's four verses out of Deuteronomy chapter 24, and it talks about divorce. When a man takes a wife and marries her, then it shall be, if she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some unseemly thing in her, that he shall write her a bill of divorce and put it in her hand and send her out of his house. Now, I'm going to pause right there because, again, we got to dig deep on this. At what point was sexual immorality brought up? At, At what point was an affair mentioned? At what point was... I don't know, literally anything bad on the woman's side of the, of the fence mentioned. No, nothing. It was just, if if let, the guy seemed to... Let, let, me, let me quote. Yeah. Because he has found some unseemly thing in her. What, what can that mean? She could have gotten it's a bad broad. mole one day. It's very broad, yeah. Yeah, she could be having a bad hair day. Oh, you guys, the dude's like, no. Lord forbid if you have a baby and get stretch marks. Yeah, you know? or maybe she broke a limb. I don't want to act tone deaf here because I have already addressed this, but I just want to make absolutely sure it's at the forefront here. I am not trying to lessen the value of Scripture here because these laws were stated in a land and at a time where laws didn't exist, period. Women were treated much worse than this prior to these laws coming in. God was given in that slow improvement until Jesus comes and really starts finalizing things. So keep that in mind as I'm reading the Scripture. Don't, don't look at this Scripture on its face value and go, hey, the Bible is bad. This is this is setting up as context. Uh, what what's it that uh, the pastor Seth says about about context? Uh, con- uh, text without context is pretext. There you go. Absolutely. So keep that in mind. So continue to read uh, verses two through four. I'll just barrel through the rest of it, and then we can talk. When she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. If the latter husband hates her and write her a bill of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, who took her to be his wife, her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled, for that is abomination before Yahweh. You shall not cause the land to sin, which Yahweh your God gives you for an inheritance. Mm-hmm. So keep in mind, God gave these commands. Jesus is God. So Jesus is fully aware of the commands that were given. He knows how the culture is working at the time. 
he knows this scripture because he, I mean, he commanded it to be written. He mm-hmm. knows how the women are treated. He knows that this woman who has these five husbands, he, he knows good and well that it's more than likely not her fault. More than, I mean, I can only say so much authoritatively since, I mean, we I don't wasn't know there much and about it's not spelled it, yeah. out. But like you said, Tanner, it's so easy to just assume that this woman is 1,000% at fault for everything. It, this woman should, could just have terrible luck with men. It could have been all just a bunch of arranged marriages that were done for money, and then the man was like, oh, well, okay, it's time for time for my next piece. I, I want a younger woman this yeah. time. So in, in the eyes of the people, I can only imagine, you know, the people that she's around and the reason why she's. it seems like she's lonely and she's seeking for companionship because – Women couldn't give the bill divorce. It was solely, strictly on the male. And then to have five husbands, most of the people probably thought, what is wrong with her? There is something wrong with her. She is unclean. She is unworthy to have a husband. There is something wrong with her. And so the women, she probably didn't have any friends because they were thinking, well, I don't want what she's got. And if, if no one likes that, then I don't want to be any part of it. And then I don't know who that one guy is that's, you know, even though they are uh, in fornication and living with each other, but yet maybe he saw, he, he probably saw some value in her still sticking with her. Uh, you know, but it seems like she's just so alone in this. And I think that, you know, not only that, but like, Jesus has already been placed at a high honor of that. He's already being called rabbi, that he's a teacher, a well-known dude within the community. And I, I would assume that this woman, this Samaritan woman, has heard of Jesus or heard of some of the things that's been going on. And so for a high-class, high-known dude, well, I say high-class, a high-well-known dude, rabbi, Jesus, a great, mighty teacher, and a woman with all her faults and her iniquities and the things that she's being shunned for, so a, a high honor shame type of contrast here between a woman that is shunned and a guy that's honored. And a guy that is honored is stepping down and talking with this woman that is being shunned by the people in her community. And I, I think there's there's something I didn't, we, need, we need to talk about here in the sense of this, this story. Is that it's easy to ignore the community aspect of this whole thing. It's easy to ignore and just to focus strictly on the theological parts of the water. You know, we focus strictly on verse 14 of, you know, the, I, I can give you the water. It's like, yeah, that's awesome. And th- that applies. But yet we forget about the, the gender gap, the racial gap, and the honor-shame gap. We forget about that Jesus is all about bridging community and bridging connection with people and then bringing the heavy heat with the water. And I would like to add one final bit of context to this woman because, I mean, it, we really just can't stress enough, like, how powerful this conversation is. So I would like to add a little bit uh, more fuel to, to just how intense this interaction is. Uh, I'd like to reference another bit of scripture from Leviticus chapter 21. Uh, and this chapter mainly deals with uh, etiquette that priests are supposed to follow. So keep that in mind when I read this single verse, verse 7. It says, They, being the priests, they shall not marry a woman who is a prostitute or profane. They shall not marry a woman divorced from her husband, for he is holy to his God. So the little bit of information that I'd like to glean out of that short little bit of scripture there. What is a divorced woman grouped with? A prostitute. Now, again, we, we have a little bit of privilege in that that is not the case these days. You don't look at a woman that's divorced and equate her to a prostitute in, the, in social standing on the, the 
um, the social hierarchy like that. They're not even close to each other nowadays, but you got to keep in mind, that's how they saw them back then. Jesus is fully aware of that, mm-hmm. and yet he is still conducting this conversation. He is still providing this woman comfort of love, of explaining about this living water. That Jesus is witnessing to what is more or less a whore as far as people in that culture are concerned. Beautiful stuff. I mean, we're gonna, I mean we've seen already, like, he's, he's healing the sick. He, he's already going to some areas where people are like, oh, well, that, it's kind of weird that, that Jesus is going to, to these lepers, to these sick people. But he's, he's performing miracles. So he's, that's okay. That, that's okay. He's doing this, all this supercharged, super power, stu- power stuff. That, that, that's cool, I guess. But just talking to a woman who's been divorced five times, that's on a whole other level. Yeah. Also, I, I was reading here, we're going to continue on in uh, verse 19. Um, there's something I didn't have in my notes, but there's, he, he bridges a community gap here. He says, uh, she says, sir, referring to after the husband conversation, sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. So this woman says, like, you know, our people, our family, we've worshiped, you, we've worshiped God in the, he- in the mountains. But you Jews say that to truly worship, you got to worship in the holy city of Jerusalem. And Jesus replies in verse 21, says, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus, He says, you know, it's like there's a there's a difference here that the way that we've we've been doing things. But no, it's not always going to be like this. The people that truly worship through the Spirit and with truth, because Jesus later later refers Himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by Me. And so He says, you know. I'm going to bring people together through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, and my death and resurrection, and through the truth that I bring. I'm going to bring you people in the mountain and the people in the cities and wherever to all else in the world, they will worship my name. They don't need to be have a special temple. They don't need a special place. They can do it in their cars. They can do it wherever. They can, they can worship me wherever they please. And I, I think that's, that's, that's a kind of interesting aspect that only the Jews can worship at this time, but yet Jesus is like, it's not always going to be like this. All right, so they've had this, uh, man, borderline earth-shattering discussion, just... So much weight that we shattered her world. Yeah, I mean it's borderline disrespectful to go and just beat the dead horse right now because I mean we've we really uh, done well at picking uh, picking it apart. I think so. Mason, how about you read verses twenty seven through let's say twenty eight, just a little chunk there. And at this point, his disciples came and they marvelled that he walked, that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, "What do you seek?" or "Why are you talking with her?" The woman then left her water pot went her way into the city and said unto the men 
Oh, well, shoot, I guess read verse 29. Then. Okay, I was like, that's <laughs> just a cliffhanger if we stop there. 29, come see a man who told me of these things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Okay, so a question that I have that is a genuine question because I don't know the answer. Um, in verse 27, like it says that, I mean, no one said, what are you looking for or why do you speak with her? Now, out of all the times that the disciples like are really good at putting their feet in their mouths, like why do you think this is the time that they decided to, to hold their tongue on something that they probably thought they had the authority to say? I think that this is after Jesus has did his mic drop. Obviously, within the within this whole conversation here, that the disciples have arrived after Jesus has said, "I'm the Messiah," and I think once he has said that, that chance that flipped a switch for her. How many times have you been in a complete communion with God in a, in a, in a time of like you were in complete adoration and worship of God, and it almost. I mean, that's what the day of the Pentecost people were saying of Peter. It's like oh, you're just intoxicated, bro. It's like you're you're just drunk. Well, I'm drunk with the Holy Spirit, man. I mean, you know, I'm just gonna get all tipsy on Jesus. But maybe she was just so much. She was so broken and so distraught, and pouring over the righteousness and holiness of Christ. And this is just THV. I'm just thinking out of my head. You know, maybe if I wrote this into a you know a, a semi-fiction book or whatever of what she would say. Um, maybe she was just genuinely worshiping Christ that the disciples like what in the world is this and so maybe they decided I'm just going to keep my mouth shut because I don't know what's going on <laughs> I don't know I mean it doesn't I, we're just reading between the lines and trying to make up something here of why they didn't talk maybe they just didn't want to say nothing because they took the conversations as well she's a woman I'm not talking to her oh she's a Samaritan I'm not talking to her oh she's slept around with a lot of men I'm not talking to her I'm not going to make mention of this maybe it's out of sight out of mind top deal thing so maybe it's on the opposite ends of the spectrum of of that I don't know we can make assumptions all day long of why they kept their mouth shut Okay, so I want I want to make sure that we don't skip over uh, verse twenty nine yeah. because we kind of just kind of tacked it on because there was a comma at the end of verse twenty eight, um, but I just want to read it again right quick. It says, "Come see a man who told me everything that I did. Can this be the Christ?" That being the the words of that woman, of course. So here we have the confirmation of this woman being the the first real missionary. I mean, she went out and was going to spread the good news. I mean, because Jesus did absolutely give her the good news. This wasn't just like some. A weird intro version of it so that you can like um, delegitimize her and be like oh well she didn't really know what she was talking about so she wasn't a real missionary no she was absolutely given some good news and she's going out there to spread it this this mm -hmm. person who could be the Christ so this I mean honestly that really does serve as like the last nail in the coffin for any like hopes of uh, people who genuinely want to follow Christ to be like the least bit sexist I mean th this is so much legitimacy and so much responsibility poured out onto this woman. And another cool difference uh, between this woman and other people that Jesus talks to throughout Scripture, throughout the other Gospels especially, uh, a common theme whenever Jesus does something for someone is he instructs them not to tell anyone. It's like, hey, go go with this health that I have bestowed upon you and, and go home and don't tell anyone about this. And I mean, usually they, they disregard that and go tell people anyway and it kind of works out. Uh, I mean, I I want to say it works out in Jesus' favor, but I mean, I guess that does kind of contribute to his crucifixion, so it's how it depends on how you want to look at it. But he instructs people not to talk about the things that he did uh, a surprising amount of times. But here you have with this woman, uh, 
there is no such instruction given. Mm-hmm. He gives her the good news, and now she's going to go and spread it like wildfire. Yeah. So that, again, that just gives one last bit of, like, undeniable legitimacy to this woman being the first missionary. And given all the baggage that she had going in this conversation that we've already covered, it just gives that much weight and that much uh, controversial charge, as we said at the beginning of this episode, to it. I really love the story. I've, I've preached over this a couple times, and I, I just love the story so I mean, much. I've, I've but never... I, I've, I noticed something here that I haven't noticed before, though. Uh, so when the Samaritan woman tells her fellow Samaritans about this possible Messiah, they're like, okay, let's go see this dude. Let's bring him into town. And so Jesus, uh, in verse, starting in verse 39, dwells there for a couple of days. And, and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. And so it's kind of like I, I see that there are some that they just they hear the things of God and they just like you know whatever that's cool I just believe it because I heard it but yet these people actually sought the words of Christ they're like okay I actually want to hear what he has to say instead of just taking her at his word just the same thing as like we don't just need to take preachers at their word we don't need to take our families our parents uh, theological standings at their word, but we need to actively search Christ ourselves, and He's going to r- reveal Himself to us for sure. Right. So going on a little little further, after this woman uh, goes out and well does her thing, uh, verse thirty says they went out of the city and were coming to Him. In the meanwhile, the disciples urged Him, saying, "Rabbi, eat." But He said to them, "I have food to eat that you don't know about." The disciples therefore said to one another. Has anyone brought him something to eat? Okay, first off, before we get into, like, real discussion there, uh, that's, well, I was going to say that's hilarious, but I didn't actually laugh, so that kind of delegitimizes it. But, I you mean, that, awful? Uh, no, no, I'm not, not rolling around. The microphone wouldn't pick me up then. But, holy crap, that's just glorious. I love, I mean, we just discussed how, discussed, we just discussed how Jesus says stuff that, like, people just don't get like he he tends to say stuff that goes over people's head even though he does such a mm-hmm. good job at bringing his language down to their level but here you have another case of people taken literally and it just it, it reads like a comedy in the meanwhile the disciples urged him saying rabbi eat like hey hey man how about how about you eat something you, you look hungry jesus He's a tortilla taco boy yeah and then jesus replies says yeah, I've got I've got food to eat that you don't know about. Like he he's getting ready to get into some deep spiritual stuff. He's he's about to bless these people with some with some divine knowledge, Tanner. So then what what do the disciples say? They're like, teach us, te- give us this this food, teacher. And they're like, uh, hey hey, did you did you give him something to eat? Because evidently I didn't know about the food that he's got. Did, who gave him food? Who I didn't. Did you see him eat before? Like <laughs> just the level of confusion that ensues from that is just absolutely hysterical. I love it. But then, of course, uh, this, is, this is a teaching moment. So then Jesus gets to the teaching. In verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Don't you say, There are yet four months until the harvest? Behold, I tell you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, that they are white for harvest already. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit to eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you haven't labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. 
Now, I don't know about y'all, and I'm not going to like monopolize time on, on discussing this bit of scripture because there's, there's plenty for all us to talk about. But one word jumps out to me when I, when I read the bulk of that, and that is grace. My goodness. Like that, again, this is, this is him speaking in a way that he knows the people around him are going to understand what he's saying. Now, are they going to understand all the levels of what he's saying? Not necessarily, but it's going to connect. Him saying, hey, labor has been done here, and I'm going to, you're going to get to reap it, even though you haven't worked for it. Oh, man, that foreshadowing is mm-hmm. beautiful. Well, it's cool, too, because, like, the, not only with that, but, like, the reward of, like, there's probably a small church of believers in that in in Sychar where this uh, story took place, and so now there's probably already a jumpstart church before Christ died on the cross, and so and this is hypothesis too. I mean, I'm just saying, but yeah, I can just imagine it's like you know I've already planted a church here, guys. You know, I'm above the game before you even started. You know, and since it's like there's already a group of believers in this town that are willing to follow what I said. And they probably get the picture. They understand it. Probably better than you do, guys. He says, you know, I've sowed. And, and eventually when all said is done, we're all going to reap it. You're going to reap what, what I've sowed. You know, and the same thing with the, with the cross. is like, you know, the things that I sow, the death, which sowing the seed, what does it have to do? It has to be put in the ground. It's got to die. A seed has to burst for that, for that sprout uh, to sprout up, and so that's going to be awesome that that we get to reap rewards for what he has sowed through his death and his resurrection for sure. thinking on something but I don't know if I want to say it or not it's very listen here Mason we can't sit here and have fun and play off each other if we don't go and speak stuff that might be nonsense this is another hypothetical situation but just by the way it's worded it really makes me think I want to I want to read it again Uh, verse 35 do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest but behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. This makes me think if Jesus actually showed off his power right here for just a glimpse moment, because, you know, they're sitting out right here at the well and whatever, you know, they're having their lunch and Jesus is teaching. And so when I'm picturing this, I just a picture a field, you know, down the hill, leading down to the city. And the field is obviously a third of the year away from harvest like we're not even it's not even close to time for this field to be ready to be picked but i wonder if he's just done his little jesus thing and made this field ready to prove a point like this field should not be ready but because of it's been sown and i mean at this i mean we've already went through the story of how she's already went out and started teaching jesus's ways that Look, I have sown her into the city, and it is starting to reap rewards. Like this field, I have sown it. And because of that, because I I was the one that sown it, it is starting to reap rewards. And look, you don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. But because it has been reaped, you know, you're going to reap from it because of how it was sown. I don't know. I like it. I like it. I just, that's one of those situations I think that he does it, one, to teach his disciples, but I mean, two, it's to kind of show like 
I am. Like it's, it's, it, you, don't, you don't see it mentioned anywhere how people noticed it or anything, but it just makes me think. So he's like, look, guys, this field is white and ready to harvest. And I, I want to think he's meaning it literally. I want to say no. I want to object. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm disagreeing with what you're saying. I don't. I mean, the the application is correct, but I think he's getting that to the point. It's like you may not. You may not see the reaping. Like it's being sowed. It's there. You may not see it. You may not see that it's going to become a time where there's going to be a harvest. You may not see the hope of a harvest at all. And I don't think he did a miracle. If it was a miracle that he did, I think it would have been recorded. Because um, that, to me, that would just... I mean, as an it, it says, Behold, I lift your eyes and look at the fields, for they are white and ready to harvest. That's, yeah, but it, it, doesn't, say it, but it doesn't say that it, he, he bursted it up out of the ground. Because I think John would make a, a, a significant thing saying, well, if it's well, out of if harvest... We, if we go back to John chapter 2 and look at the wine and the water, it never turned into wine it's just when they went to pick it up or when, when they went to fill their cup up it was just wine i mean there was no significant turn on of it turning into wine i, I still don't think that this was a, a, a literal miracle i think i think we may be maybe reading too much into it and, and trying to pull miracle out of something that probably isn't there but i mean like i said the application is accurate but i think that i don't think that this was this is a miracle in itself of him raising up grain out of a harvest. I think that he was focusing on the teaching instead of the miracle itself. Because later on within well, the Well, that's what it was for. I'm not saying he done it yeah. for a miracle. I'm well, just, yeah, but... He, I'm, I'm saying he done it for teaching. I'm not trying to say he done it for anything other. So I'm saying he's like, look, you know, this field shouldn't be ready, but because of how it's been reaped or how it's been sown... I think that sounds pretty cool, personally. I mean, it sounds cool. I'm <laughs> just saying, I don't think, I don't I mean, I'm not I don't trying think, to pull anything out of this. I'm just saying, yeah. like, you say that this field is four months from harvest. Look at it. It's ready to be harvested. Um, I just, I don't see that. Four months, four months is different than, like, a, like a year away from harvest. Like, if they just planted it, that'd be. Crops only grow in about six to eight months. Well. <laughs> I can tell you that from experience. Oh, son. Oh, son, it's getting spicy. Uh, I still four I don't, months. Is I a don't long see. Time. We're talking about in four months. It's going to be Christmas. You know that, right? You shut your mouth. Daddy Claus is going to be coming around. In four months, it's going to be Christmas. So you're saying like four months is not a big deal? Well, no. I mean, that is literally a third of a year. And like I said, like I said, crops grow between six to eight to ten months, depending on what crop it is. But we've already established that Mason's the redneck. He knows his crops. <laughs> Well, but I, I'm not I, trying I still to necessarily don't see it, debunk though. you because I can understand. I mean, yeah. you don't see it, but I'm taking it literally word for word. What it says, it's like you you say it's not ready, but because of me and how it's been sown, and you know. Well, this is this we is fun to discuss. Reap. But but I'll, I'll I'll cut this off because we we can't have a an episode no. entirely being no. We got to no. figure it out. We well, got to figure it out. Was it a, a miracle, or was it just? Jesus making uh, the the greatest object lesson known to me. Email us with your opinions. Yes, that's exactly what I was <laughs> going right, to say. There you go. There, there's your segue. There's your segue. Yeah, and I guess uh, with that we can we can also in the episode not to to disrespect any scripture we have remaining because uh, in verses 39 through 45 we do get that confirmation of uh, the fruits of that uh, Samaritan woman's labor. Uh, but really, the bulk of this conversation we wanted to keep to 
really the controversy, and I feel like we did a we did a good job there. If you, even even had a debate there. So if you come, if you listen to the next episode next week, you'll see a real miracle where Jesus heals a boy from across the land. Okay, that's a real miracle oh! right there. All right. Anyways, hmm. I love you, Mason. We're gonna have to get a bell in here. To start. <laughs> We're gonna have fist fights. We're gonna have fist fights break out. The only thing I got is what's a real miracle and what's not a real miracle. I mean, a miracle is a miracle. Oh, no. We could debate this all day long, too. <laughs> what, what's defined as miracle in science. Anyways, so uh, contact us. We, the Facebook and the Instagram links will be in the show notes. And email us at uh, podcast.crosstraining at gmail.com. So check us out. There's conversations going on there. Uh, and if you're not part of the conversation, then get in the conversation. So. Tell Tanner he's a wet blanket. Tell Mason he's right. And until then, Tanner, give us the magic words. Peace out.